Greetings and salutations. Welcome to another episode of Onward and Upward, a Kansas City podcast. My name is Blake Rumsey. I'm your host. And today is May 18th, 2019. And we have a, uh, a great lineup today for today's program. I've got a couple of places I'd like to highlight uh, my experiences over, so essentially reviews of a couple places I've been to, uh, old, old mainstays and uh, the other being a, new, a newer spot. Uh, also, uh, quite a few items here on the, to, to talk about that's in, been in the news the past two weeks. And uh, maybe we'll get into uh, to a topic discussion or something. That would be uh, it'd be cool if we have the uh, we have the the time. We will do that. So let's kick it. So uh, for these reviews, I have two spots uh, to talk about, and both are right almost right next to each other. They are it, right off Southwest Boulevard. One r- literally is on Southwest Boulevard, and the other is just right off of it in the West Side neighborhood. Uh, the first I'd like to talk about is a spot that opened up about six months ago, and it is called Poyo. So it's P-O-I-O with the, the long O uh, symbol on top. So it's it's a, a Mexican chicken joint, as you can imagine, but it's uh, by the name. It's just a play on the name, or the actual spelling with two L's. But anyway, that's not important. The... This place is interesting because it is uh, it is the it is like El Pollo Rey off of Kansas Avenue, but in the West Side, which is a historically Mexican neighborhood, or at least this particular section of it is. And so, the owner of this particular establishment, or and is the fella who owns the Bite, and soon to be uh, and soon to be a several other spots across the metro, and. This uh, this particular joint is yeah as I said pretty much like El Pollo Rey but a little different in that it's it's a little more elevated. There's a it's this is this is done by a, a guy that's got that's got pr- like professional training and is not it's not just a mom mom and dad type of spot. It's it's a little ele- more elevated. So for instance, so I went with with my lady and we checked out uh, this place and it's got uh, this. Nice little counter. It was a pre- previously another restaurant before that, and that was well designed when it was put in. And so it, it, they reused that. And they've got two primary options, which is which is uh, a half a chicken or a whole chicken, and also pork ribs and a couple of other a couple of other items, including uh, in, including kimchi uh, kimchi fried rice. Funny enough, and. Which actually makes sense because the bite does a lot of Korean-based things as well with, with fusion with Mexican, so it makes sense. But anyway, the for my lady and I, we chose the the whole chicken to share between us, and you know, loaded up on their pico de gallo that I'm assuming they make themselves, and was thoroughly impressed with what we had for for sixteen but or sixteen bucks, eighteen bucks. It was it was a steal of a deal for a uh, for such a fine meal because it came with your standard you know whole chicken, but then also a ton of tortillas that to uh, to 
put the chicken on, and also pickled vegetables of various kinds, carrots, onions, and I think even was not potatoes. There was something like that, though. And it was it was just awesome. And I can't speak uh, well enough of it. It's it's great. And you can also get beer there, which is great. And yeah, I, if you're looking for a an experience like El Pollo Rey for those who are familiar with it, uh, and you, but you don't want to travel all the way over there, just go over to to Pollo. It's it's awesome, and I'd say it's just. Just, just a little better in certain aspects, and uh, so yeah, I I highly recommend that. You can find them at 1000 West 25th Street. So just right off where the fire. If you're familiar with where the fire station is, towards like Tenderloin Grill and all that, just right after you pass that, going west, you'll see the the fire station. Take the first street ne- to the to the left of that, and it's right up there next to where Chelsea's Bakehouse. Uh, at least used to have their their baking space. So the next one is up the street and is a pop. It's been around a long time and is a is a uh, kind of a icon of of West Side Mexican uh, fare, and that is and Kansas City r- or urban core Kansas City Mexican fares as far as I'm concerned, and that is. The dessert spot known as Tropicana. I had never been there before, and it's for many that's probably like, why, why the hell did it take you this long? But I finally got over there uh, and got uh, decided because I well I I went because my mother had uh, had told me about my her and her br- my brothers and her had went to went there themselves to check it out because I had told them I had heard about this place and they should go see it. And they called me and were just like, oh, my gosh, you got to go. It's insanely good. And so I thought, okay. So one day, Taco Tuesday, I went up to my favorite spot, San Antonio's, up off Independence Avenue, and got done and said, eh, to hell with it. Let's go down there and get some dessert. So instead of going to Betty Ray's, which is what I usually do. And so I drove down to Southwest Boulevard, got in just in time, uh, and – Looked at their menu and ordered what my mother had uh, recommended I get, and I'm so glad she did, because it's called the Mango Niada Especial, and it is a delightful item. It is uh, a mango sorbet with mango chunks, tamarind sauce, and chamoy. So it is as it sounds, but it all it's it's. It's just this insanely layered mango drink, but this is—it's great because the t- the the tamarind sauce is so spicy and yet sweet at the same time, and and it's it's—I don't even know how to describe it. It's just not like anything you'll find in, you know, an ice cream shop, the the normal you know like American European style ice cream shop, and. They, and with that, they the, they use the the straw that's in it has like a tamarind, uh, like the chili, uh, a chili candy that coats the outside of it all the way to the bottom, and it's just killer. And it's only five ninety nine. So for this giant, you know, drink that takes twenty five minutes to drink to uh, to consume with 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 straw and spoon. So. Uh, Tropicana that has a lot of different things. That's what I had, and it's it was insane. But that's that's what they call their tropa snacks. But they have uh, tortas sandwiches, so they do some some stuff that's 
that's savory. They have antojitos. They have uh, they have tropinu and juices and smoothies and and ice cream. And they also freaking make their own uh, chocolate. Uh, Iced chocolate uh, bananas, so you know the, you know like solid, you know, cold chocolate bananas, and it's they they look amazing. I've not had one yet, but someday I'm gonna get over there and get one. But yeah, they make their own ice creams and with standard fair flavors that you would, you know, okay, yeah, that's ice cream, that's a standard flavor. But they've got some different things that seem a little more uh, that are more sorbet based, and yeah, just tons of fruit and and. Just a lot more you'll, than you'll find in a standard American-style ice cream spot. So Tropicana has been around a while. I, I don't actually, off the top of my head, know how long it's been around. But it's long enough that it's worth, uh, that it's 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 marked its place, and it's become a pretty, pretty well-known spot. So if you haven't been, march yourself down to Southwest Boulevard to... Specifically to um, 830 Southwest Boulevard. And you'll just find it right in there on the strip. It's next to, or it's down the street from Empanada Madness and and uh, Tacos El, El, El Gallo and Rico's Taco Lupe and Tenderloin Grill and all that stuff. So that's my recommendations uh, as far as food goes of spaces I've recently been to. I don't, uh, I try not to, as you can tell, don't try to give a lot of reviews because I don't want to be like other podcasts that are trying to do a lot of, a lot of reviews related to, to, you know, restaurants and, and bars and things like that, breweries and things. I, I, I will give, give my own little thing every once in a while, but I don't want this podcast to be dominated by those things. Cause I would love to talk about that stuff. But there's other people doing that, and so when I think it's appropriate and have something I think that's worth talking about, uh, I will throw it out there. So anyway, we will stick to our main bread and butter from here uh, for for the rest of the, the this segment and that or this next segment, and that is the news. So what is going on in the news? Well, to begin our little jaunt, we're gonna start up. Uh, with infrastructure, so not really anywhere, but I guess you could say technically in the river market, and that is that back earlier this week, the Fifth Street car arrived at k- here in Kansas City off uh, on Grand Street where they unloaded it, and that is uh, with a with a police escort. It was with fanfare from uh, the KCATA and all that, and. The Fifth Street car uh, has been in pro- uh, construction and production and all that for m- a while. So it's been at least eight months since that was first ordered. And not to mention the Sixth. The Sixth hasn't, is it not here yet. I have no idea when that's coming. I would assume by the end of the year. Maybe, maybe by the end of the summer. And the, you know, they're, they're constructed in Spain. They're assembled in Spain. And then they're shipped here to the to the East Coast, I believe, to Baltimore. And then from Baltimore, they were shipped when they were completed. Whenever the the rest of the fabrication was finished in the states to American standards, they then shipped it back on a boat to Houston. And then from Houston, they came, it came to Kansas City. 
So this was Monday morning. It rolled into town, and within the next three to four weeks, it once it's gone through the, its paces and they've done all the, the tests and everything it's supposed to go to, because like when the streetcar line first opened, the these vehicles are required to go through so many amount of miles, not to mention the testing they have to have. So once that's done, it'll be operational, it'll be added to the fleet and be working ASAP. So hopefully that will also uh, increase the, uh, the, the pace of on busy weeks when they have all the cars running. This will increase the amount of, or the, uh, well, not increase, this will decrease the amount of wait time at stops. So win-win, everybody's happy. That's, it's, uh, it's great news. And it was also, it's also worth mentioning that with the, with Tom Guerin's, um, speech he gave when they got it there or his little, his talk with the, with the press, he said that, uh, so far there have been over, uh, what was it? 6.2 million riders of the streetcar since it opened Three three and a half years ago, six point two million. That's just crazy. And and also that the that uh, the streetcars themselves, the two of them cost a million dollars, million dollars or no, not a million, eleven million. My apologies, eleven million dollars. And that also includes all of the uh, extra parts and repair bits. So I mean, eleven million for two of those. I it's Seems pretty cheap to me. I was quite surprised personally, but anyway, that's uh, that's what's new in infrastructure. Um, we're gonna move over to the northeast, specifically to Pendleton Heights, and the because it's been announced that Split Log uh, Coffee out of Strawberry Hill is opening a second location. I believe I talked. I I believe I talked about this last episode actually. And at the time, it was just a, somebody had seen a sign up in a window. But now, but now we have more information. Uh, it's not a lot, but it's it's enough. And this is from the Northeast News uh, paper, not newspaper, but a newsletter uh, for the for the neighborhood. And they said that the that uh, that Pendleton Heights split log will be opening at some point. Probably by the end of the year, there's they didn't they weren't exactly sure when it would open, but they knew it would be, it uh, it would be soon, and that the that basically they were going to uh, add a kitchen as opposed to what their current location has, or their first their first locale over in Strawberry Hill has, and there also won't be a drive-through. Which if you saw the building, if you look it up. Uh, which the address, by the way, to look this up is 544 Olive Street, right off of Independence Avenue, and the spot just you, it just probably it just wouldn't work as a as a drive-through. But there will be a kitchen, and so they will be able to make food and do a little more things than what they do at the other one because the other space is very very tiny, and they hope to tailor make it more to. Pendleton Heights neighborhood, so it's not going to be a carbon copy of their Strawberry Hill location. So that's a uh, that's good to know. It's good news. It's a uh, the Kansas City coffee scene ever continues on to expand, and we'll get more into that here after a while. So uh, on to the next one. We're going to head down into Midtown to 
a very busy district right now. There's a lot of projects going on in this part of the city. There is, at the Midland Office Building, uh, which we've talked about for a while now, that the spot owned by Cordish, that is a part of the Midland Theater Spectrum. It's the office portion at the west end of that building. The the building has been approved for its uh, 25-year tax abatement incentives, and so the this this project, which is at 24.3 million dollars, uh, Cordish is investing into the, into remodeling the building. Uh, we'll have 117 units that will, at the micro level, which there are 33 of those micro apartments are scheduled to be. There would be about 700 to 750. Uh, dollars uh, per month. There will be 22 studios, which will be about 1,100, uh, or it'll be about 950 or so, or a little less. And then there will also be there will also be 62 one-bedroom apartments, and those will be about 1,100 per unit. And so this is this is scheduled to start uh, at the uh, beginning of 2020, so in the winter, where you can assume by by March, I would assume, and it's as we've talked about before, it's being being designed by Helix Architecture Firm. So that's the uh, for its de- design. So that's that's the news with that. That's finally gone through. It's 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 not going to be a gradual making them uh, affordable housing, it's going to be 100% all of them all at once, which is, Cordish was given that option to do it gradually when 3Light was built and just to do it bit by bit, but instead they said they would just do them all at the same time. Uh, they just decided they would do that themselves. So a lot of stuff going on with that. So that there's there's that, but then there's also uh, the name. So the name is not going to be what you would expect, Middle End Apartments. No, it's something odd, and I don't know the reason for this, but it's it seems kind of out of left field. I'm sure there's a reason, but none of it has been has made been made public yet. And that is that the n- official name will be the Saxon at the Midland. That will be the name of this apartment complex, which is uh, kind of bizarre to me. But that's you know I don't know. They, I'm sure there's a reason. It's probably somebody's name or something like that. The designer of the building. I don't know. But anyway, that's that's what's going on with the Midland. So that's that's. On the on the on the books now, so we will uh, uh, be be prepared to see a lot of crews working and and that road section to uh, to close off there at twelve twenty one Baltimore Avenue. So if you're looking for it, that's where it's at. And uh, our next item is actually a caddy corner and a few doors down the uh, the street from the Midland, and that is uh, PT's location which is slated to open in June that that's the news we got uh, not a lot to report there other than it I mean it sounds from the descriptions it'll be like PT's just you know you know 10 blocks away or whatever it is down in the crossroads at Southwest Boulevard it'll basically be the same thing as far as its hours look identical you know they close at six o'clock and all that and that there, you know, there's not going to be anything different, food or anything. It should be pretty much the same idea. And 
so yeah, that's that's what's going on there. Uh, I I don't have any other information than that's that's when it's opening. So by the it's supposed to be the end of next month, so June. But so PTs, that's second coffee shop, and we're gonna be talking about two more before this uh, before this podcast is over. But anyway, so that's that's that. So we're gonna go uh, two blocks over to Main Street. Main, between Main Street and Walnut too, where Three Light is, because I have no more. I have more Three Light news. Imagine that—the place that seems to constantly pop up in my news feeds uh, as of later. At least in it, almost every episode of this podcast has had a mention of Three Light in it. But uh, it's the 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 time is coming. So Three Light is to begin work the fourth quarter of this year, as it had been talked about way back last year, but. This was made yet. This was reiterated officially again, and from a uh, a source at KC Reg, Mr. Normal Things, he has uh, he he has buddies and things in the uh, at Cordish, I guess, or some or people that know. He, he has people that are involved in some form, and he was told that the renderings, uh, final renderings, and plans and all that stuff are going to be made public by the end of the month. So within the next like two weeks. We're going to see the official look of 3Light, whether that's what the uh, the official website currently has, which is an old rendering from a while ago, from what I understand, from uh, from several years ago, or it's you know a completely different version. This building, this 300-unit apartment building, is 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 going. We're finally going to see the 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 look of this thing officially in just a few weeks. I can't wait. Because it's it's about friggin' time, and I'm ready to see this shit be built. So, the so yeah, expect that in the next few weeks. And that's all I have on Three Light. I don't have a whole lot. Just it's that's just a, a just a blurb, just to keep your eyes out for. So now we're gonna go over just another couple blocks over into the crossroads into the. Uh, what they're calling the PAC, right? The Performing Arts Center area. Uh, there, there's a there's a whole development plan for that that they call and they call it the PAC. It's not Political Action Committee. It's uh, it is the Performing Arts Center. So we uh, so there's there's some news on the Bravo Hotel project across the street from uh, to the east of the Kaufman Center on Wyandotte and the gre- the grassy area there next to the parking garage and across the street from the convention hotel that is currently being constructed. The 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 vote for that was just this past week, and, and instead of voting on it, the city council decided to give a continuance for the vote. Uh, after hearing uh, hearing out the company for uh, f- their proposal and have the with their in. in Hearing out about Hyatt being the one that would be the running or managing the, the hotel, and ha- what all the benefits would be, and also that the tax incentives would come with it, which we discussed last episode. We discussed the tax incentives and the and the you know the optics of a of the situation with oh look giving giant tiffs to to these big ultra rich companies that's not benefiting everybody too well. Here's all the actual numbers of that, and actually. Goes from having no money from it because it's it's owned by a non-for-profit organization to oh it's actually taxable and it's going to be making money so cool so that's uh, that has been given a continuance till 
as you can probably imagine, after the mayoral election. So, in like the next couple months, we're going to hear, they're going to vote on it. They're actually going to vote on it. When everybody's asses are covered and nobody has to say anything that could cost them an election or whatever, everybody gets to play it safe because that's what politicians do, right? So... The, the that's the nature of democracy and republics, right? Is to do that sort of thing. So, it, so that's what the city council has done. And so, my bet is, is they're gonna either just go with it completely, or they'll go with it, but with some caveats and maybe some modifications to that. Um, some they'll you know give a counter bid or something. So, that's the situation with Bravo. So. Hopefully by July, we'll have more of an idea of what's going on um, with that project and what exactly will be the outcome of, of this hotel, well, what, what the fate will be. So onwards to our next bit. We're uh, going to jump on down to the rail yard area, so the very south end of the crossroads bordering the, the, uh, the train tracks there, the, ra- the, the rail yard. And we're going to look at, uh, there was a new project announced late, late last week, if I'm not mistaken, uh, that for a new apartment project to open at the, uh, at right there next to Lydia's and Jackstack and all that stuff by a company called Graystar. So you're probably, you probably are not aware of what Graystar is. Most people aren't. I wasn't. But Graystar is the country's largest operator of apartments. That's the largest. They and and actually and they have stuff everywhere all over the world. They're a global company. Billions and billions and billions of dollars of of real estate they are they are uh, managing for people. But Graystar is 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 yet again op- is going to be the operator of this project, but this is in tandem with a couple other companies, such as 3D Development and the Development uh, International Group. And this, uh, this project is called the Tracks 215. So Tracks 215 will be the name of this apartment complex. It is $95 million uh, project, or at least estimated to be. It's a nine-story building on top of the three-story parking garage that currently exists. I'm assuming that's what it's referring to. The currently existing parking lot right there, just west of Jackstack and all that stuff. So, the plan is to have let's see, it's over it's th- over th- uh, 300 apartments, I believe. Uh, something around there. And, it's, and it, it go, runs the gamut of kinds. Micro, one-bedroom and two-bedroom apartments. And this this project is hoped to start if it gets approved for its incentives, because they're asking for some, and to just be approved uh, to begin at the beginning of 2020 as well, like all these other projects. And with a finishing date of hopefully uh, March 2021. So it said it was an 18-month 18 18-month 18 project, so we assume it's March. So... The the uh, this project has 60 micro apartments, uh, 165 one bedrooms, 
and 25 two bedrooms. And, the, and these apartments, these micro units to two beds, range from $1,300 to $2,747 in price per month. So, very quite a quite a quite an expensive bit, but it's uh, it seems worth it. So, uh, it's one one point one acres of parking lot that's just sitting there, not being used. You've all see you all probably at least all of you from Kansas City or have visited here are aware of the parking lot I'm talking about that is directly borders the rail yard. So it's, it'll be that, and it'll be it'll be huge. I mean, that's that'll go uh, that'll almost rival Artera probably for size, and the other the other buildings are immediately around it. Those old industrial buildings. So it's a big project, a big project, and uh, something that kind of was out, uh, at least to me was out of the blue. I'd never heard of such a thing, but Tracks 215, more, adding more people to the crossroads, to the downtown area. It's a, it's a good thing. We want that density. We want the density. So keep an eye out for that. We should hear more probably over the course of the next six months, I would hope. I would hope uh, the next six months, maybe shorter, maybe f- next four months. And, yeah, so keep an eye out for that and uh, keep an eye and an ear, and we'll get back to it. So the eighth item I have uh, in the news is going uh, all the way down to Westport. Because in Westport, I have some new uh, updates that I didn't get personally from my source uh, on this time. But if you remember the last episode, if you tuned into that one, I talked about the Cat's Drugstore, so currently called the Drugstore, which is at Westport and Main, right there at the corner. And... It's a currently an artist's, an artist's uh, studio space for a bunch of artists owned by Redeemer Fellowship, my former church. And the, the building, according to uh, a fe- one of the fellows at Casey Rag at the forum, uh, he had just been told, he had been told by uh, someone, in, someone in the know with the drugstore artists that the cats is 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 to be sold and that the artists have been told that they're going to have to vacate eventually so uh, redeemer is selling the church and they're going to whether that's they've already put it on the market or it's yet to be the the building is going so what that means who knows my source i'm going to go back to him and talk to him about it and be like yo what's going on but I will, I will try to get some new information for the next podcast, and hopefully we'll have uh, some more s- concrete information about the future of this building because I think we all want to see uh, another, another st- uh, store of some kind, grocery store or a mixed use of some kind with restaurants, whatever. Something that helps really bring some life to that corner that has only really been... Uh, was has only really been kept alive and sometimes intermittently by oddly correct Clint's comics and, uh, and what was blind tiger blind tiger being the late night of those two until it's unfortunate demise two years ago, two and a half years ago. So the, so the cat's drugstore is there. It, it is not just going to be developed by redeemer into something. They're not going to own the property. They're just going to sell it. So, I'm really interested to know what this what's what's going on behind the scenes with that, and so I'll try to dig in and find out. But 
Uh, as for any other information, I have none. So we're going to move on to the ninth item, and that is a jump down to the plaza to 46th and Warnell. If you're familiar, that's over by behind Chewy's and over by that bank that's up there on the hill there. And uh, the, this project uh, is you maybe not be familiar with, but this was uh, this is a revived project. Uh, it was recently, just last week, announced that the the 46th and Warnell uh, project had been revived, and this project had been approved three years ago for built to to be built. And the plan was that this would be, I think, a it's like a 14-story building, I believe, and it was it was going to be a hotel and uh, apartments as well. And they got into trouble with the locals there because the locals started complaining. So the, the NIMBYs came out, the not-in-my-backyard people. The NIMBYs came out and said, we don't want that big building ruining the views of our condos. Because there's, for those of you who know, there's a condo across the street, and it's a, a very old set of condos. And so that that particular group of people and some other ones around there were were uh, very upset that such a big building would ruin their their views of the bowl and the <laughs> because it's all about them right so the 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 project was uh, put on hold indefinitely and three years later here it is and so that's that that's kind of the history of why this hasn't happened so with that being said the uh the 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 project is being done by country club lodging llc and they presented a plan last tuesday to the city planning committee uh and they approved unanimously to get it back going and so the plan the plan is two seven-story hotels under uh two separate flags of marriott's brand so on either side, and we've seen this with other hotels in the past doing something like this where they split it. But uh, the project is estimated to be at $100 million. Jeez Louise. And this is both uh, in a vacant piece of property on uh, on uh, 46th itself and then also where the bank is there on uh, at the corner of Warnell and 46th. So the the bank will go and they'll put the two buildings there. Uh, the plan is for uh, the project to start if uh, in fall of this year and to finish in April 2021, something like that. And the architect is DR, is the DRL group, and the estimated number of rooms 304. So that's a lot. That's a lot for a hotel. Um, it's a great addition, and they're, they're and they're keeping in mind the architectural makeup of the plaza. So it'll be they'll try to make it fit in as far as the facades and and everything. They'll have it'll have some modern feel to it, but they'll but they're going to try to make the the facade of the building make sense and and be something that's aesthetically pleasing to the eye and a more in a in a in a slightly anti antiquarian uh, way with a with the mix of the new, so 
good news. So keep your eyes uh, out for construction to begin sometime by November, I would assume. So sometime around there, October, November. But anyway, on to our next bit, and that is we're going to jump down to two Suburban deals. Now, as you know, I don't cover a lot of Suburban developments things. I don't talk about a lot of a lot of what goes on out in the suburbs because l- to be frank, a lot of it is not very relevant for most people in Kansas City. Um, nobody really cares about if some giant facility, a giant warehouse is opened up in Edgerton or in Grandview or a uh, a new factory is has opened in Claycomo. It it's important for jobs for sure, but it's not important in the sense of what is the focal point of the city? When I think of Kansas City, when you think of Kansas City, what are you thinking about? You're not thinking about the Ford plant. You're not thinking about some giant Amazon warehouse or of, you know, something, some some giant uh, business park in, in Shawnee or in, uh, or off Bannister. You're thinking of downtown Kansas City, you're thinking of Midtown, Westport, Brookside, Waldo, you're thinking of uh, the associated uh, neighborhoods that aren't Kansas City, Missouri necessarily, but are associated like Parkville, North Kansas City, even Strawberry Hill on the Kansas side, or or even, or, or even, and I know this sounds to the Kansas Cityans, they may be like, no, but even Downtown Overland Park has its niceties, and it's something that one would go, okay, I can see that. But those things are what make Kansas City, Kansas City, especially, specifically, and above all else, what is in the urban core and what is downtown. And so I, this, this podcast purpose is to highlight those things and to, to talk about those things, but, but... If there is a restaurant, if there is a brewery, if there is a retail store, or something else that just is worth talking about, that is worth mentioning, we're going to talk about it. And uh, so two of these are, and, and if it's related to culture, with that being said, if it, re- it, if it can affect culture in this city, in the greater Kansas City metro area, then I want to talk about it. And... So here are the two, two, two of those things that which make up culture and that can really give a, a rural or suburban area a sense of self, I, I believe. I, I personally believe. And that is in the form of coffee shops. So we have two. It's worth talking about here. Um, Scout Coffee has opened at 14 West Main Street in Blue Springs. So... Blue Springs is east, north of Lee Summit, east, east, southeast of Kansas City, and you know, east, southeast of, of Independence, and or south, southeast of Independence, and Scout Coffee is uh, is just a it's a local coffee shop. Uh, I believe it used to be potentially another coffee shop before, but that one closed, and so they opened another one, and this one is uh, is using messenger coffee and they are uh using uh artisan kombucha so my buddy ben bash uh, the the current uh kombucha lord of kansas city i think it's safe to say that he is 
going gangbusters with artisan with his kombucha. Uh, his uh, his brand artisan kombucha is is currently sold there with um, with other sodas and things, and it's just a standard coffee shop. But it 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 lo- it's a it's aesthetically pleasing to the eye, at least from the stuff I've seen on the inside. It's it's towards the 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 center. Uh, obviously, it's on Main Street, so it's in this towards the center of, of Blue, Blue Springs itself. And it's uh, it's in a house, so it's it's got a different feel than a lot of the other places around here. It's more like Mansion Coffee in the Northeast. So it's got its own little thing. It's not to say that it's this super mega thing. But it's 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 uh it's it's good to hear that that Blue Springs has got another coffee shop for people to pick from, and places like this will make Blue Springs become come into its own and not just be some suburban wasteland like so much of this country is plagued with. Gives it a little bit of character. It's a place for people to congregate around. It's a it's a human need. It's a thing that we've had for thousands of years, and this is how it is. And we're finally finally we're going back to that as a normal thing. And so this is one of those. As, uh, this is one of those examples. So another one that's in a similar position uh, is the Lottie, uh, the Lottie Coffee and Cone, is I believe what it's called, and it's opened at 9502 Main Entrance Drive at Lake Lottawana, hence the name the Lottie. So it's um, I first found out about this place because uh, of just being on. Oddly correct Instagram and my friend Gregory Colsto, the owner and founder of Oddly Correct, uh, on his and my buddy Josh Schweiston, who also works there. They uh, it it was them and and uh, Mike Schroeder, the other owner, uh, the co-owner and brother-in-law to Gregory, was uh, was there also, and they were doing training of the employees of the Lottie, and I'd never heard of it, and I looked it up and went, oh, wow, this is really cool. It's it's very beautiful space. Um, it's owned by a, a couple of, like, four kids, and they uh, they seem to put a lot of hard heart and soul into what they want there, and it's, it's just a, a, a really pretty and cool little spot for a, a suburban lake t- lake village, you know? A glorified, a glorified subdivision, and so the Lottie's opening up, and it's got oddly, as you can imagine from me saying, uh, bringing them up, and it also serves ice cream and pastries. So it's just kind of its own thing. It's 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 got the kind of lake fair, what you'd expect for having on a lake, and that's like an ice cream joint or having ice cream, and but it's also a coffee shop, and. Yeah, it, it gives me a reason to go to Lake Lottawana now. I kind of want to go and check it out. So it's a place for the people in the area to congregate, and it's also something that gives you a little bit of, hey, I haven't tried that. That looks cool. I want to see that. I want to see what this looks like. I want to sp- spend some time in this space and experience it. So that is the news items I have That is f- as far as news stuff that's that has been news articles and been written about and been talked about. We talked about a lot of coffee shops. We talked about some more, more and more apartments. We've talked about uh, infrastructure and streetcars, and and we've talked about restaurants. And yeah, I I, I am uh, I just am more, always more and more excited about the stuff that 
keeps coming up in the news related to this town. It's, um, it is so much fun to drive around Kansas City and just watch the progress of things. I, I, I make it almost a bi-weekly routine to drive around all the areas that have the biggest construction bits to see what the progress is. So, you know, there's, you know, to get, if you want an update on the, some of the current construction status of things, like, for instance, uh, the Westport and Broadway apartment project, uh, the first floor is off the ground, they're probably getting ready to start the second, and they basically got, or get, they're getting the garage situated. There's a lot of stuff going on over there. You got the west side apartment and townhouses that have been worked on for months now. That's that's way up and off the ground. The townhouses look basically done or they're very close to it. And the the apartments are, are two stories high at this point, I believe, maybe maybe working on the third. And the the yards down in the west bottoms is is basically topped off from what I understand. Uh, west uh, River Market West two uh, apartments is is uh, halfway to being finished. It looks like with its topping off and finishing out the initial part of the of the building. Uh, the second in Delaware greenhousing project that has been this huge you know deal. It's it's getting really close to being topped off. There's there's so much going on. There's so much. There's it's just everywhere. Like I could, I could go on for the next 15 minutes talking about just the amount of things that are currently being finished up. You know, reverb in Crossroads is get. It's they put the they've they put the base for the tower crane. So this probably this next week, we'll see a tower crane going up. You know, the uh, Artistry KC at, at on Oak and between Oak and Cherry is 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 going. And it's it's they've been digging earth and tearing stuff down. And you know you have the the uh, the reserve, the soon-to-be Embassy Suites Hotel at the old Federal Reserve headquarters. It's constantly going. They're just gutting that place like crazy, and it, and you know there's always some kind of activity going on there during the day. So just so much stuff, and it's 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 almost overwhelming. If if uh, in fact if this were in a place like Chicago, this pro- this podcast every episode would be like two hours long. I could imagine it would just be immense the amount of stuff to talk about and so i think this is an adequate amount it's 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 nice to just to have a nice load every single week to to talk about and go over and and not be too overwhelming and just droll on for hours about opening this and closing that and blah 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 so that for now is uh really all i've got for for the main part of the podcast uh i I, I would like to answer a question that was asked to me recently because uh, a friend of mine, and and I think others have it on their mind as well, of uh, who live in the suburbs have were kind of taken aback by my have been taken aback by my comments at least in my early episodes about the suburbs and that that they are the past. As I uh, when I sat down and we talked about it and discussed it, he he understood he finally understood where I was coming from and 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 got it and agreed and that and. I w- this kind of goes into more of my personal beliefs on a fundamental, you know, worldview shaping level. But the what what is the problem of the suburbs? Why 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 does Blake Rumsey have such a thing 
against the suburbs. You grew up in them for at least most for the latter half of your life. What's what's the big deal? Well, it's not that the suburbs are bad. Suburbs have essentially always existed in some form or another. It's it's the modern version. So we're talking about post World War II. So 1946 to the current. Changes occurred in how cities or how how communities developed. So there's two there's two constants in history of how people congregate. There is the city, right? There's the main the main hub, and there's the village the rural village, right? There's those two things. You have you have the little towns out out and about that service the local farmers farming communities. And you have and, and those sorts of things, and then you have the city hub, which is where the trade goes on, which is where you go for to for protection and defense, right? This is where this is where where governance and and power resides, right? Well, the problem is the way things are now. Things have drastically changed in the way social engineering has and and architecture. And urban develop, urban planning and development has has worked since the end of World War II. You know, this public transportation took a massive hit gl- nationally. We've talked about that with our own streetcar. You know, it's, it was one of the largest streetcar networks in the country. And then the, then the car came. the ma- The mass production of cars came, and it killed it. the The streetcar lines were gone by the but before 1960 even even uh, started. So. The the troubles of the suburbs are that it's a false way of living, right? There's there's a huge difference. So let me give you an example. For those who are in Kansas City, let me give you an example. And I want those who are from other cities or other towns, I want you to think about it from an example that's it's pertinent to you. So there's a huge, huge difference between a place like Parkville, Missouri and Olathe, Kansas. There's a huge difference between a place like Kansas City, Kansas, and, let's say, Gladstone, Missouri. Why? What's the difference? Difference is Parkville and KCK in its downtown, its original, are original towns. They are functioning right they they it's towns are two things that what makes a town it's two things it takes a it's not just the people there it's so that's this is we're not talking about just the fact that there's a people congregated that's obvious but there's two things that really make a town a town that is it has a governance it has a sense of order there's a there's a hierarchy of some kind there's a sense of leadership and governance and there's two and that is it has a city center. It has a place where people congregate that's recognizable. If you don't have that, you're not a town. Okay? That's just how it is. If you can't identify that, then that means that you're a glorified, super-duper subdivision. You're nothing. I, I'm sorry, but that's just how it is. Uh, and that's what Gladstone is. That's what a place like, I said Olathe is. They don't have town centers. You know, Overland Park has one. Even Overland Park does. It's 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 younger, so to speak, than other ones, but it's it's it has one. Um, 
Same is true for Lee Summit. Same is true for Martin City to one degree or another. Same is true for uh, for so many of the towns around here. Weston, Platte City, even Blue Springs and and uh, uh, Mission. These areas have the original bits of 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 its of its town, just little bits. But that's all it takes. It doesn't have to be large. It just has to be recognizable. You know, I'm I'm from Sedalia. I am from a town of 21,000 people. I it, when my ancestors moved there 180 years ago, there was nothing. And they out of that they built farming communities and they built towns like Georgetown before Sedalia was built. Dec- several decades before Sedalia was built. They built Georgetown, they built Hughesville, they built Longwood. And these ten- and these areas had city centers. It, it, it only has to be a couple of buildings, but that was recognized that that's where it was at. Now, in America, we, we base that off of, oh, does it have a post office? Does it have a courthouse? That's, okay, whatever. You can, that's fine. That's fine. That's part of it. But there, there's, this asp- there's this place of, of understanding of it being the core. Where's the gathering point? Is there a main street? Is there a cardia, as the Romans called it? Is there an area that I can recognize and go? That's where all the stuff goes on. The village green, right? You know, as we've as we've heard in Europe and other in other continents. So that's what that's what my my criticism of of the whole thing is is that suburban life is antithetical to city development, to actual natural human ways of doing things. It's 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 astroturf, GMO fakeness. And as someone who's lived, you know, from the age of seven till, you know, I was in college, I lived in the suburbs. I know. I lived in it. I did it. You know, there's, this is how it is. You know, that you go out into northern Kansas City and out into the metro parts and you go, I'm in Kansas City. I'm in officially Kansas City, Missouri. I'm not in one of these little, little, place you know i'm not in like parkville you know i am in kansas city but i'm not really in it at the same time because you're just in this rando subdivision out in out in the sticks right or uh you're you go to you know platte woods you know it's a little tiny municipality that exists so that they don't have to pay kansas city taxes that's why it was built it was built to to get away from the city and be its own thing but guess what it has no Platwoods has no culture. It has no life. It has nothing other than cops that people don't like. <laughs> that's that's what it is. That's and that's that is so true for most of the metro area of this city and for most of the cities in the United States. Parkville has a sense of what it is, a, a sense of culture, a sense of of itself, if if that makes any sense. Weston does. You know, even over even Overland Park, downtown Overland Park does, and so I, when you go out and about, realize that this mentality is a part of a bigger narrative of things. It's just a very this is just the sub the subject of this particular. It just goes under this particular subject of day to day life, neighborhoods, um, live, work, play, and. It affects your psyche. It really does. At least I personally think it does. I, I 
No, I don't. I, I know this to be true because I saw it in myself, and I've seen it in other people. And, I, and most people just don't realize it until you really do, you really dig deep and think. And it's 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 not the same. Like so, you know, there's a difference between rural mentality and city mentality. Rural is meant to be we're 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 working on the farm. We're working in some sort of thing that is producing things to be distri- that we take to the city to sell, right? Or to, or we take to the local towns. It's a, it's there's that mentality, and then there's the people who live in the city. City mentality is busy, it's it's crowded, right? Because it's dense. It's supposed to be dense. Everybody's living on top of each other, and it's it's where trade goes on. It's where it's you see stuff from you see things you wouldn't otherwise see in this in the towns, right? Because uh, you have a lot more um, commerce and things from all over the place coming in, right? That's the purpose because, you know, when you go to a little town like, say, Napoleon, Missouri or, uh, you know, Archie or something or uh, Stillwell, Kansas, you don't go there thinking, oh, I'm going to go see stuff from all over the place. That's just not, it's, it's just not the way that that works. And so now the problem is, is that this mentality changes your perception of reality. It changes your own perception about yourself, about your neighbors, about your family, about your work, about your work ethic, about culture, about place, about geography, about everything. And it it's unhealthy most of the time, most overwhelmingly so. You know, I I I do believe that it it makes one it it makes one think, if you live in the suburbs, it does make one think that, hey, I am, yeah, I'm not some ultra-rich millionaire, you know, that lives in this, this super-duper giant house, and I'm not insanely poor and living in, in a project or something or in some trailer park, but I'm I'm in this in-between place. And so I have my estate, right? I have my... I have my yard I have to mow that's too big, and I have, I have a home with a garage, and I have uh, multiple rooms, and it, uh, it's, if, if this house were in West End of London, it would be basically a manor. You know, there's a lot of them like that in the suburbs. And you go, this, this is, and, and, but the, the thing is, is it's gilded. This is like the gilded age, right? The post-antebellum America restoration, or uh, reconstruction period, right? 18... 1869 to the 1890s, you know, this period of gilded, this, this, this idea that it's, it's not really what it is. And it's for us, it is the same here. Our houses are built cheap. They are, they will be torn down in 40 years or 50 years and they have to be rebuilt. They won't last 200 years. They won't last a hundred years. Whereas I'm sitting right now in a house that was built in 1920. This house was built to last and it ain't going anywhere. As long as the foundation is maintained, this house is going to do just fine. And most of the houses here in Midtown are like that. So keep these things in mind. This is, this is what I'm talking about when I talk about the criticism of the suburbs, the, the, the bane of the, of the suburbs. There's, there's context to it, right? So if you live in the suburbs and, you're, and it disgruntles you at what I have to say, then f- change it. Start advocating for a better sense of people because you live in the suburbs, man. Like, 
nobody cares about each other in the suburbs. At least my experience growing up, and I grew up in several parts of the suburbs, different neighborhoods and things. Nobody cares about each other. You don't know anybody. You know maybe your neighbors next door to you and across the street, but you don't know the whole neighborhood. It's not like that anymore. That's dead because everybody's in each other's business, right? We li- It's the Mrs. Kravitz effect, right? You know, Mrs. Kravitz, she was the neighbor of, of, uh, of the couple in Bewitched. She was always peeking out the window and always over at their house and looking through their, their windows and things. And that's how what it does because it, it takes these toxic ideas of freedom and liberty and, and you independence and having what you want and takes them to the max, right? Like just eating a bunch of junk food. And so that's, that's my criticism. And, I, and there's a lot more to be said. I could keep going on this. It's, 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 a, it's a very dense subject that leads into literally hundreds of other things that are not even related to it, but ha- have its source there. And that, but that's for, that's for another kind of podcast. But that's, I, want to, I just wanted to be able to discuss that a little bit and, and hopefully help you see where I'm coming from with understanding the, the suburbs. It's, yeah, it's, it's just not the same. And it to have a healthy balance, one needs to at least understand where your place is in it. I mean, my parents live in the suburbs, and they get it, though. They go, oh, yeah. You know, and they, they realize their sense of place. So if you don't want to be at war with your neighbors like people in, the, people in the suburbs are, because, folks, for those of you who live in the suburbs, I've lived in Midtown for several years now, and in some parts that weren't the best, like Mannheim Park, and guess what, or at least this was four and a half years ago but it's and it's way better now but remember this or know this i i i've seen kids being able to get on their bikes and ride around it late at night and it's no big deal you know nobody cares for all the the poverty and the problems that are on the they're in the east side and other things like that a lot of kids don't fear being out there is still that sense of being a kid and that's 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 awesome it's beautiful and it's so it's a travesty, Li- you know my teenage years be- and you know childhood growing up in the suburbs and watching people actually seeing people call DFS, you know child services on other people and then taking, you know trying to ruin a family's life simply because they don't like the way they raise their kids or simply because they don't want their or as I've seen they don't they get annoyed with seeing kids come over. And, into their house and want to play with their kids and so what they do is they go I can fix this that's literally happened that is not a joke that is not a a hyperbole that is not an over exaggeration I've actually seen this happen twice in two different neighborhoods I've seen where my parents currently live I saw I went from being a neighborhood where kids were walking around and there were there there were tons of them when I first moved there I was like oh this isn't like where I grew up and there were just tons of kids everywhere and then my family had DFS called on them. And then guess what? Within a year, I noticed all those kids were gone. Guess, I wonder why that is. So this is what I'm talking about. It's destructive. And I think it's because the su- just the, the whole basis of why the suburbs exist is bad. It's just the cheapness. It's, it's about money. and it's about, it's about the dollar, as I've said, both in... You know, I can commute to work. I don't have to live around a bunch of people. I don't have to be stuffed in with, you know, on top of a bunch of other people. I don't have to, 
you know, I don't want to walk anywhere. I just want to drive. And I, you know, that sort of thing. It's, it's, I can have a bigger house and I can pretend that I'm a landed gentry when I'm actually not. <laughs> you know, that's what it is. So anyway, maybe we'll talk about it some other time with, with a guest or something, but that I just wanted to, uh, Share that with you and give you some context for my my thoughts on the suburbs. So anyway, with that being said, and this I think that makes it even more relative after the conversation we just had. As I've been saying since the beginning, know your city.